Welcome to episode 11 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, the top five snacks from a specialty store that has been nicknamed the Backpackers 7-Eleven. The Summit Gear Review will review the Sansa Sport Clip MP3 player. The Backpack Hack of the Week, you'll learn a sweet and simple way to add fuel to your internal furnace. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, American naturalist and nature essayist, John Burroughs. All this, and that's about it, today on The First 40 Miles. As a beginner backpacker, I have all sorts of, I guess, rational and irrational fears. But the two that really come to my mind are the fear of dying of hypothermia and the fear of encountering a wild animal on the trail. There are some real risks out on the trail. Although, of course, a lot of the fears that that we have are not really about real risks, or maybe the risks are real, but they're not likely to happen in anyone's lifetime. It's easy for those fears to get out of balance with reality. So you you said animals. Uh, What kind of animals are you scared of on the trail? Well, if I'm in bear country, then my number one uh, fear is bears. Encountering a bear or... uh being eaten by a bear. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, number one for a lot of people uh, if they know they're going to be in bear country, which is a pretty significant part of the world. That That's a good example. Bears are, are so rare and generally stay away from people. Uh, I think rattlesnakes would be another top fear for people in rattlesnake country because they seem so... So deadly. Well, yeah, so deadly. And also like you're not going to even know it's there until you've virtually stepped on it. So that can be scary where you you don't know. It's it's like the terrorist threat. You you don't see it coming and mm-hmm. that that increases the fear. What other animals? Well, I'm actually afraid of raccoons. <laughs> uh, there's just something about them. They kind of sneak around at night. I feel like they're big enough where if one of them got mad at me, it would it would be able to take me out and <laughs> knock me over. I don't know. It, they're kind of scary little animals. <laughs> <laughs> a few years ago, we went camping just miles outside of Salt Lake City. It was just up the canyon, maybe five miles. I remember. And we invited your parents to go along with us as well. In the middle of the night, there's some, you know, rustling outside. We were near a creek, so it very well could have been a raccoon. I don't know. In my mind, it was a raccoon. Right. <laughs> and let me just back up and say, we had seen a raccoon earlier that evening. So in the middle of the night, <laughs> I hear this scream <laughs> from you right next to me. <laughs> yeah, because when a raccoon is coming to attack you, you want your mom. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd protect me, but I knew you wouldn't be sympathetic either. 
<laughs> well, you do have a point there. Maybe your mom would be more sympathetic. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and there's mice and other little, you know, even squirrels, right? I mean, they. I think everyone's real comfortable around squirrels because they see them all the time. But if it's in the nighttime, any of those animals, when, when you can't see them, then your fear can go up. Right. And raccoons, because they're nocturnal, you don't know what they're doing out there. And my imagination goes wild at night. Every single twig snap and every single pine cone falling off of a tree, all of those noises, I imagine that a raccoon is stalking my tent and it has its razor sharp claws ready to claw through my tent. And I don't know. You have a great imagination. Oh, and, it's and I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> Well, there are other fears that can come into play on the trail as well. Uh, so we've talked about animals. You mentioned fear of hypothermia. Someone could have a fear of, you know, what if I run out of water and, uh, and die of dehydration? Um, what if I have a major injury on the trail and I'm miles away from help? Am I going to survive? Um, you know, lots of those uh, kind of uh, personal safety um, and survival fears. I think one of the greatest things that backpacking gave me when I was growing up was the opportunity to face some of these fears. And, and when I faced those fears out in nature, somehow that translated to the rest of my life, to facing social fears or, or other fears that I may run into in my life in society. I remember one trip, I was up on top of a ridgeline. And this is a ridgeline that literally was a, you know, like a foot wide at the top. And you can look down both sides, 45 degree slant, you know, going down both sides of the ridge. You're literally just right on top of like this knife edge. And the thought went through my mind, wow, if I trip and make, you know, one misstep and I fall one direction or the other, I'm gone. But that thought then allowed me to kind of move to the next thought, which was, I'm not going to make that misstep. I'm going to be careful, but I'm going to face this fear and I'm going to conquer this fear. So I kept going on that ridgeline and the feeling that I got from conquering that fear was very important. It's just stuck with me throughout my life and has allowed me to to take that same attitude into other areas of my life and to say, okay, here's something that I'm facing right now that I'm not comfortable with. Okay, but what's the worst thing that can happen to me? Well, on that ridge back there when I was a teenager, the worst thing that could have happened to me is that I could have died. Okay, so the thing that I'm facing right now, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? Well, it's a long ways from death. You know, the worst thing that's going to happen is fill in the blank. Uh, someone will be mad at me or I, I, whatever. And, and so it allows me to kind of compare those fears to that experience that I had when I was a teenager. It was, it, it's been really powerful in my life to have that experience that I gained when I was backpacking. Another experience I had when I was a teenager was when we went on a, a backpacking trip and we explored some old mines. Now, I don't know if those mines, maybe they're all boarded up today for safety reasons. Who knows? <laughs> but when I was growing up, they were open and you could go climbing around through these mines. Well, they were mining layers 
of the mountain. So there were some spots that were larger inside those mines. And then there was a spot where it was kind of at an angle, maybe a, a 20 or 30 degree angle. Just imagine that you had a multi-layer cake and they had taken out one layer of the cake. And that layer was maybe two feet from bottom to top. So we're in there crawling around in this mine and we've got just a few inches of clearance above our heads. Not even enough to turn your body sideways. And there's a fear that comes there. <laughs> you get that, that kind of claustrophobic fear and they're like, well, what if I get in a spot where I can't even breathe? You know, I can't expand my lungs. And, and again, having those opportunities to be face to face with those fears and then to have lived through them and conquered them. And we did survive. We came out through that uh, narrow area and kind of popped our heads out. And just we were basically on the side of a cliff and had just this amazing view of the mountains. It was just thrilling. But I had to face that fear to get to that vista. All right. My heart is just racing listening to that story. I guess I still have some more fears to conquer that weren't on my original list. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad I could add to your fear list uh, and you can uh, work on conquering those. <laughs> While you're on the trail, you'll have to face some fears. And I think the number one thing is knowledge is power. And if you do your research before the trip, if you understand what challenges you'll be facing, what the most likely challenges are, that really helps you to be able to be prepared and not be surprised when you come up on this uh, huge drop-off. Knowing that you're in bear country is another thing. If you're prepared, you're not going to be as fearful. If you're going to be in bear country, there are lots of things that you can do to minimize your risk. Another thing that I think is really helpful is to go with seasoned backpackers. Go with a group. Never go by yourself. There's a lot of safety in being with a group. And that was really helpful to us on a trip where as we came up to cross a river, we were looking for different points to cross. So because we had multiple people in the group, we had people going up and down the river both directions to look for those crossing points. And people found various candidate crossing points. And then we came together as a group and we ended up finding, I think, the best crossing point rather than taking the first crossing point that someone found. And we felt uh, safer that way because we had taken the time as a group to come up with the best solution. Another thing that's really helpful as you're facing your fears is to not feed your fears. If you're laying there in your sleeping bag in the middle of the night and you hear a crunch or a snap just inches from your head, Maybe that's the time to take a deep breath, clear your mind, and, you know, stick some earbuds in your ears, or I enjoy praying when I'm scared. That really seems to help. Just anything that you can do to keep your mind off, whatever it is that you're afraid of. And one other thing that maybe can help is to really get an objective understanding of the risk level that you're facing. I guess one of my soapboxes is uh, I think that we humans are really bad at calculating risk. So we will pay unreasonable amounts of money to mitigate a risk that is not worth what we're paying because it's so unlikely to happen or uh, because the consequences really aren't that bad. In backpacking, that you know, there's, there's a lot of data that you can get to really help yourself understand just how rare some of these events are that you may be fearing. 
Uh, so bear attacks or I don't know, maybe you could find stats on raccoon attacks if there's even enough of them <laughs> to to be a risk. Yeah, I want to know how many people have um, been sleeping in their tent and had a raccoon claw through their tent because that's really a fear of mine. And I always have my raccoon spray ready to go. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if it's something that has never happened, then that can be helpful. I mean, the fear, obviously a lot of the fear is irrational, but maybe you can help to... Uh, reduce that fear with some rationality, with some logic, with some data. For our top five list today, we have the top five Trader Joe's snacks for your next backpacking adventure. So Trader Joe's has been called a backpacker's 7-Eleven. It's a haven for trail folk who want to grab interesting, exotic, or unique snacks that you won't find in a typical grocery store. So we went there recently and just picked out five snacks that fit our criteria. They had to be calorie dense and they had to be different than what we could find in a typical grocery store. And I had one more criteria. I wanted it to be somewhat plant-based, somewhat uh, healthy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll see how we did. To make things interesting, we're gonna try them out right here, right now. Okay, which one's first? Okay, the first one is the roasted plantain chips. Yeah, these ones here. Those are it. They look like banana chips a little bit, but they're not sweet. So these roasted plantain chips are 140 calories an ounce. The ingredients are plantains, sunflower oil, and salt, and they are made in Peru. Hmm. What do you think? Yeah, pretty good. I, I was expecting banana chips. I, I thought... Oh, well, this is just a, they just want to sound fancy and call them plantain chips. Yeah. Yeah, they're not really sweet. Yeah, they're more of a salty, a savory yeah. snack. They still have kind of a banana chip type texture. Well, the next one that we found there was coconut strips. And these are 140 calories an ounce. They're made with coconut, cane sugar, and sulfur dioxide, which is a common preservative in dried fruits. So this is actually a product of Thailand. All right. So to explain these coconut strips, they're not like coconut flakes, the, the super thin things. These are about like a French fry, right? Yeah, In terms they look of like their, French fries. Yeah, so a, a coconut French fry. Right. <laughs> okay. They're white and they're really chewy. Yeah, they have a lot of body to them. Yeah, so they're different than coconut flakes. Definitely sweet, but not overly sweet. Mm-hmm. Oh, those are nice. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. like it. Yeah, a lot less sweet than like a bag of sweetened coconut that you could buy at the store, you know, um, mm -hmm. or making macaroons or something. These yeah. are less sweet than that. That's really nice. So would you take that on a backpacking trip? Yeah, yeah. I think both of these so far would be good in my pack. Yeah, good to share. Pass around the campfire. Okay, the next one on our list is coconut cashews. Mm. And these ones are 160 calories an ounce. And these look, I mean, they're whole cashews, but they appear to be coated in some kind of coconut powder. So yeah, kind of a sugar syrup. Yeah, cashew with a little different kick on the outside. That's nice. Yeah, that would be really good in granola. That would be really nice. Yeah, it would. Or even, like if you wanted to do some kind of Thai noodle dinner. That would be a fun thing to throw in there with the Thai noodles. Just throw in some coconut cashews. Mm. It is a product of Thailand, so. 
Yeah, sounds good. All right, the next treat that we found at Trader Joe's is their vegetable root chips. And these are 160 calories an ounce. So it has a fascinating ingredient list. There's sweet potatoes, taro, batata, parsnips, beet juice, oil, and salt. So there's four different root vegetables in this bag. So the bag claims that these chips will transform any occasion into a gourmet snacking experience. And by any occasion, I believe they mean a backpacking trip. So Well, and I'm always looking for a gourmet snacking experiences. True. Yeah. A gourmet experience on the trail. <laughs> the only downside to these chips is that they're pretty bulky, just like any bag of potato chips. Yeah, there's a lot of air trapped in between the different curls and wrinkles of the chips. It's interesting. These chips aren't as salty as regular potato chips. Yeah. So if you're looking to cut down on sodium... These chips might be a good option. And they are sturdier than most potato chips, I think. So they, at least they wouldn't turn into just a pile of crumbs in your pack. Right. Yeah, these are a little bit sturdier. Good. All right. What's number five? Number five from Trader Joe's is the candied pecan. So these only have uh, four ingredients. It's pecans, sugar, canola oil, and salt. We'll try these out. Yeah, they have that really great roasted pecan flavor. Yeah, great roasted flavor. Um, and not too sweet. I was expecting them mm. to be a lot sweeter, so. Wow, at 190, 190 calories per ounce. These would be in my pack for sure. Yeah, those are great. Wow, well, that was fun. Well, if you have a Trader Joe's near you, go check it out. You'll find lots of great people there that can help you find some good snacks for backpacking. Trader Joe's has an inventory that changes fairly frequently. So even if these specific items aren't available at your Trader Joe's, you may be able to find something similar, or even better. Here on the first 40 miles, we created the Summit Gear Review. The Summit Gear Review gives you a 360 unbiased look at backpacking gear before it goes into your pack. Summit stands for Structure, Utility, Mass, Maintenance, Investment, and Trial. Today on the Summit Gear Review, we're reviewing the Sansa Sport Clip MP3 player that's made by SanDisk. Structure. This is plastic and it has a color LCD display and it comes with earbuds. Utility. The Sansa Sport Clip comes with a 4GB card, but you can also purchase one with an 8GB card. It lasts about 25 hours on a charge, and it charges with a micro USB connector cable, which is really convenient. It has 42-inch long earbuds that block out nearly all sound, so you can use it for earplugs at nighttime if you, if you like to sleep with earplugs. The sport clip itself has a clip on the back that you can use to clip it to your clothes or to a pack strap, which is where I clipped it when I used it. Mass. It weighs 1.4 ounces, or 40 grams, and it's 2.5 inches by 1.5 inches by about a half inch thick. Maintenance, you'll just want to keep it charged, and it holds a charge for a long time, and keep it dry. And the way that I kept it dry was I just put it in a plastic bag and just made sure that it was protected, especially when we went on our rainy backpacking trip. Investment, I paid $40 I originally purchased a cheap MP3 player from a big box store for $20, and it kept playing all my songs from the beginning of my playlist 
every single time I turned it on. There was no way to randomize it. So the Sansa Sport Clip has really great features, the ones that you would expect. You can play your playlists by artist, by album, or you can just hit random. It works. It's a really easy to learn MP3 player. Trial. So I'm curious, what was the first song on your playlist with the cheap MP3 player? Oh boy, I can't remember the very first song, but I know there was a Steve Miller Band song. There was a Beach Boys song. I know that John Denver song was on there because that's the one that I always stopped on. The, I think it's called Annie's Song. Oh, okay. All good songs, but I really enjoyed having the random feature on the Sansa. Yeah. So while I used my MP3 player, I typically listened to it with just one earbud in so that I could be aware on the trail. That's something that I really feel is important. You can't block out everything while you're hiking. You really have to be aware of your surroundings. So if you are like me, and if you enjoy listening to music, and if that gets you all pumped up on the trail, then don't put both earbuds in. Just put one in so that you can be, you know, be aware of your surroundings and uh, so that you can communicate with the people around you. I actually only used this MP3 player on stretches of the hike where I needed extra energy. I guess for me, music is like caffeine is to other people. It really gets me excited, pumped up. It gives me lots of energy. When I was with people, I didn't listen to my MP3 player. But if I was on the trail, you know, between someone, someone a few hundred feet in front of me, someone a few hundred feet behind me, then, um, then I would listen to it for a while. But otherwise, I was engaged with the people around me and I was fully aware of my surroundings. I wonder what people's attitudes are about having earbuds and mp3 players on the trail you know it it seems a little bit antisocial, and so I remember every time someone took a picture of me I would take off you know my earbud take unclip my mp3 player and put it in my pocket because I didn't want a picture of me with an earbud in my ear (laughs) like like I was some kind of clueless teenager or something you know I just wanted to be yeah yeah it's like a city slicker sign (laughs) yeah (laughs) so I guess I would classify myself as like a fundamentalist backpacker (laughs) Um, and so I'm really minimalist in many ways and I've never carried an mp3 player on the trail but I think a lot of people really enjoy them And, and as you said for you it gave you some extra energy psychologically during maybe some slow parts of the trip where you're just kind of, uh, you know, trudging along up the hill. It was also really helpful at nighttime when I started to have an active imagination and, you know, my tent was surrounded by by rabid raccoons and (laughs) I really felt threatened. I just put my earbuds in and listened to a podcast and that really helped. Yeah, so I'd be interested in in hearing what other people think. You know, is it, uh, do you like taking an mp3 player with you do you like having something to listen to or uh, or do you feel like that is somehow untrue to the backpacking experience today's backpack hack of the week is diy mint hot chocolate mix you'll need one fourth cup of neato and that's 160 calories and you'll need six individual andes mints Now, the six Andes mints are 230 calories, which out of all of the mints that I tested, they're the most calorically dense. And I tested Junior Mints and York Peppermint Patties, but the Andes mints 
they win the prize for being the most calorically dense. They have the most calories per ounce. 158 calories per ounce there for the Andes mints. So you're going to need that on the trail. You're going to need it for energy, and you're going to need it to stay warm at night, too. Consuming large amounts of calories right before bedtime actually is a great way to keep your internal furnace cranked and working for the whole night. If you're going to take this on the trail, you might want to buy the Andes mints that come in a bag instead of a box. The ones that I bought in the bag actually came individually wrapped so they were sealed completely. So even if the Andes mints melted, they would still be contained in that bag. If you buy the Andes mints that are wrapped up in paper and they melt, then you have a problem in your pack and it could make a big mess if they get warm. And I actually found the Andes mints that were individually wrapped at a local dollar store. When I checked at a local big box store, the bag that they had of mints were wrapped in paper. So just run by the dollar store and grab the mints that are there because those are wrapped in uh, like a foil plastic and they won't leak if they get warm. To make the mint hot chocolate on the trail, all you need to do is heat up a cup of water, add the Neato, and add the six Andes chocolate mints and stir it until it's smooth. Sounds good. So a quarter cup of Neato whole milk powder, six Andes mints, a cup of hot water, stir it up and you've got it. And as you said, this is a great way to pack in an additional 390 calories right before you go to bed and keep that furnace going through the night. We'll leave you with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, American naturalist, John Burroughs. He said, To find the universal elements enough, to find the air and the water exhilarating, to be refreshed by a morning walk or an evening saunter, to be thrilled by the stars at night, to be elated over a bird's nest or a wildflower in spring. These are some of the rewards of the simple life. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. thing that I help. (laughs) (laughs) Not like that. Another thing that I think. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not how you say it either. Another thing. (laughs) I'm laughing. (laughs) I'm laughing.